Good morning, church. So we have been going through a series focused on spiritual renewal. We've been focused on what is it, what do we have to have involved in our life? What does it take to be renewed day by day, to be made new, transformed? What do we need to have in our life? So beginning of this month, I showed a video clip about a potter. And that potter needed three things to be able to mold and shape the clay. He needed movement, he needed his own hands, and he needed water. And what we've been talking about as we've gone through this series is that we need the Holy Spirit to be moving actively in our life. We need the potter's hands, God himself molding and shaping, and we need water. So last two weeks, we talked about Sabbath, and then we talked about Scripture. And so today, we're going to be talking about prayer. So I have an observation about prayer, and maybe it's just because I'm a youth pastor. But I notice that sometimes praying is not always easy. Would you agree with that? Praying is not always easy. Have you ever tried to pray in public? So every Sunday night, we have a meal before we go into our classes, confirmation for junior high and some high schoolers, and then the high school classes. And we gather together, we're standing right outside the kitchen, and I say, all right, it's time to eat. Let's pray. We're not, we're not going in the kitchen until a student prays. And it, and it just gets quiet. Like super quiet. And then on top of that, the really amazing thing is most kids tend to look at me. Like in that moment, a lot of times, all the students are like, Have you guys ever seen the movie, The Fast and the Furious? Some of you have. I have not, but I'd like to. It sounds like a really fun ride. At the end of the movie, there's a scene. So this young guy, far right, he reaches for chicken because he's hungry and he's a young guy. So he's reaching for the chicken and Vin Diesel says, hey, whatever your name is, um, since you touched the chicken first, you can say grace. And just the look on the kid's face, he's like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, dear heavenly, and someone down at the end, spirit, thanks. Uh, heavenly spirit, uh, thank you for providing us with the direct port nitrous injection, uh, four core intercoolers, ball bearing turbos, and uh, titanium valve springs, thanks. And everyone's like, amen. And Vin Diesel's like, good prayer, (laughs) right? Like it's nerve wracking sometimes to pray in public. You ever tried to pray in private? Um, You ever fallen asleep while you're praying in private? That's hard too sometimes, right? You're just trying to be focused. Well, I want you to know you're not alone. The Pope sometimes falls asleep while he's praying. (laughs) Last fall, He, in an interview, said that he sometimes falls asleep. And he said that that's okay because what Mother Teresa had said was that God wants you to be so at peace in his presence that if you fall asleep, it's okay. I think that's a very sweet thought. If you find that you're falling asleep a lot during prayer, I would just say get more sleep. (laughs) And then pray. Okay. So... Another question that I wanted to start out with. We know that prayer isn't always easy. Does prayer accomplish anything? 
Now just think about that for a second. We're gonna, we're gonna kind of do some like big picture thinking. Does prayer really accomplish anything? I was reading a book on prayer by Watchman Nee and he had this quote. Prayer does not alter that which God has determined. It never changes anything. It merely achieves what he has already foreordained. Please talk with those people around you for about a minute and decide, do you agree or disagree with this quote? Go. All right, let's see a show of hands. Those who agree, handful. Those who disagree, most everyone. Um, just as I anticipated. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> so the point that I think he's trying to make here is that God is not a genie, nor is he a vending machine. You can't just go to God and just be like, here, God, do this, and it's like, ding. God doesn't work that way. So I think that's what he's trying to point out. Now, you may not know this about me, but I like being sneaky sometimes. I did not give you the whole quote. <laughs> Let's read the whole quote now. Oh, prayer does not alter that which God has determined. It never changes anything. It merely achieves what he has already foreordained. Prayerlessness, though, does affect a change because God will let many of his resolutions go suspended due to the lack from his people of prayerful cooperation with him. Until I read that, I'd never had that thought. I cannot point to a Bible verse that specifically says that that is true, okay? But I wanna think about it for a second. God wants us to join him in prayer. He already knows what he's gonna do. His will is set, we know that. He wants us to join with him in praying for things so that when we do pray for it and when we do join him in this mission, then he brings it about. He says, I don't remember where it is. It's Old Testament. I think it's Chronicles somewhere. Um, if my people would just pray, then I would heal their land. So I sit here and I go, I think there's truth in this. I cannot prove it. All right. So if you struggle with this quote and you're like, that's not the God I know. All right, I'm okay with that. I'm not gonna die on that cross. Jesus did already. My point is that I want us to think about prayer differently, that God already has his will set, but he wants us to join him in praying for his will to be done, okay? It's a thought. Something else <clears throat> that I was thinking about as I was processing this Who's a biblical character who is very devoted to prayer? If this is true, and that God wants us to pray because we join him in helping usher his will to be done here on earth. If that's true, who was someone in the Bible who prayed a lot and lived that way? I think I said, heard someone say Jesus, which I would agree with. <laughs> Jesus would be a good answer. I thought of Daniel. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6. 
It's on page 1311 in my Bible. (laughs) Daniel 6. So if you know anything about Daniel, Daniel, other men his age, taken from Jerusalem, taken to Babylon. They are inserted into the community. They are equipped and helped to be leaders. This is where we meet Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, starting at verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now before we go on, does anyone know what a satrap is? Because I always think of golf. Like when I read this story, I just think of golf. And now you're never going to be able to get that out of your head. Sorry about that. Not really. All right. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Now, how awesome would that be for your boss to say that about you? Oh my gosh, you are like the perfect worker. I totally can trust you. You're not corrupt nor negligent. You're not lazy and you do a great job and it's for the benefit of others. Thank you. This is Daniel. Verse five. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now think about that for a second. Daniel is so devoted to walking with God, spending time with him, living out the precepts he's put in place for him to follow, that these guys know the only way we're going to get him to commit a crime is if it has to do something with his God. What could that be? So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, I think Darius put the decree in writing because you have a bunch of people come up to you and be like, Darius, you're so great. You're awesome. Everyone should pray to you. He's like, thanks. I am big man on campus. I'll take it. So he puts this into effect. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So three times a day, Daniel goes and prays. And it's the intentional time that I think is important and powerful. He goes and he says, I'm going to commit this time to God. I think there's lots of times that I pray, but it's just, quick and flippant, right? Like I'm driving and I'm like, oh, I need to pray for that person. I pray, not with my eyes closed. I pray (laughs) and then I go, Lord, be with them. And I say their name and then I go, oh, that's a good song. (laughs) Right? Like 
You ever get that distracted because you're just, and so what do we do? We just do this like quick, like, and we say stuff, God, be with this person, do this. God, help my voice work okay today, right? Like I've prayed that like 10 times today. You just drop it, you just say it, you say it quick. Daniel, intentional time, three times a day. Now, why do you think that all the leaders, the sand traps and everyone else, <laughs> why, why do they want the crime to be about prayer? Because they've seen him praying. They know he prays and they're going right at what he is so passionate about. Let's read verse 10 again. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. He knows this is new law. He's just heard about it. What he wants to do is against the law. And what does he do right away? He goes and he prays. He doesn't care what the other governments have said. He doesn't care what all those people have said. It's only 30 days. Like, honestly, like, he could have just prayed in his head quietly for 30 days. No one had been the wiser. He kept his intentional time. He went and he prayed. Verse 11. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Isn't it interesting that they walked as a group? Let's go, guys. Let's just go peruse. Let's walk around this kingdom that we're in charge of. Do, 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 do. Oh! Daniel's praying. <gasps> Throw him in. Now, here's the thing to remember. Darius felt horrible. He felt horrible about how this was. He tried to repeal his law. He couldn't. And so then, as the rock was being put over the lions, the den, he says, Daniel, may the God who you, save, who you serve so faithfully save you from the mouths of the lions. And he did. Daniel, so dedicated to spending time with his God, not letting anything get in the way. I think that's a powerful example of prayer. All right, <clears throat> next question I have. What did Jesus have to say about prayer? Because if we really want to take advice from anyone about prayer, I think we should talk to God who created prayer. So, in Matthew 6, this is the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start at verse 5. 1458 in my Bible. Verse 5. <clears throat> and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So first observation. Jesus doesn't want us to pray proudly or to be seen. You think about the religious leaders of Jesus' day. You think about the Pharisee who was praying and sees the sinner. And he says, Lord, thank you so much that I'm not like that tax collector. Thank you, God, that I am so above him. Oh my gosh, thank you for making me me. Help me love the people around here. Maybe him. Thank you for making me me. Thank you, God. Thank you for me, right? Like, so proud about who he is. Why are they standing on street corners so people can hear them? Okay, Jesus, first point, right to the heart of what he sees religious leaders doing. 
Don't pray in public proudly. Verse 6. But instead, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's a personal thing between God and us. If you find that you have to pray in public often for different reasons, don't do it proudly. Do it because you are still connecting you and God. Verse 7. He continues with more advice. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Second observation. We're not supposed to babble. Now, sometimes when we pray, we just don't know what to say, right? So we're kind of processing and thinking, that's fine. The point Jesus is making is don't babble on and on and avoid using vain repetition, which characterized pagan approaches to prayer. Now you think about people who weren't worshiping the one true God. They come before their idol and what do they do? They say the same thing over and over and over. Oh God, please bring rain, rain, rain. Rain, 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 rain. And like in Elijah, what do they do? They cut themselves. They say stuff over and over. Like it's just consistent and constant saying the same thing. And my understanding of that type of prayer is that they're just trying to get the attention of this God who doesn't really care about them, but maybe wants to help them sometimes. Just get his attention so maybe he'll help them and send rain. I got to do the right thing. I got to say the right thing. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like that. Don't just repeat yourself over and over. Now, he does want us to pray things consistently, but it's not because we know we aren't heard. Let's look at the next verse. Verse eight, do not be like them, the pagans, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need before you ask. You don't have to ask. He knows it already, but he wants you to join him in prayer. Then he teaches something that all of us have heard before. Which is what we have come to call the Lord's Prayer. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now that's where his instruction on prayer ends. And he says two more verses. Isn't that funny? That just sounded weird to me. He speaks in verses. No, like he's saying what he wants to say. And it was divided into two verses. Verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Sometimes I have a hard time with that last section because I feel like I have way more power than I should. Why is God instructing me that if I forgive them, then I'm forgiven? But if I don't, why, why do I have that power? I think it's because God in his relationship with us wants to work through us. He wants to help us understand that it is us and him together reaching the world. And if we are not willing to forgive someone, 
then do we really understand grace or why are we holding on to that bitterness? Why are we holding on to that anger? So I have a couple observations from what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. First, it's personal. He says, our Father. He's not praying to Yahweh. He's not praying to someone else. He's not using the formal name of God. Our Father, not my Father. Our Father. Second, it praises him, hallowed be your name. It also puts his will first, which makes me again think of the Watchman Nee quote. It puts his will first, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it asks for help. Give us our daily bread, forgive us, deliver us from the evil one. So this is what Jesus taught on prayer. And we don't know if he taught other things on prayer that just weren't included, right? Because he may have spoken lots of different stuff that didn't end up written down. God gave us everything he wanted us to have in scripture. But who knows what he could have taught on that we just never heard about. There are other methods of prayer that are taught today. Um, And one is called the Acts prayer method. Have you guys ever used that or heard of that? Acts prayer method. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I think this prayer method is great. When we go on mission trips, it's one of the things that we do when we're writing out prayers. Adoration, hallowed be your name. Confession, I think super important because it's an opportunity for us to reflect on the sinner that we are and the need that we have for God. Thanksgiving, praising God for so many things he's blessed us with because he's blessed us with tons, right? He's blessed us with so much, homes, friends, um, funds to help our family stay alive, Insurance, new cars, insurance people. I'm still working through my car stuff from a couple weeks ago. Insurance people who give you advice to help you get good deals. Thanks, Raleigh, wherever you are. Um, Supplication. I love when we get to supplication because it's just kind of a weird word, right? Like, I don't understand supplication. Supplication, again, asking for what you need, daily bread, Forgive us, deliver us. I love that supplication comes at the end because it gives you an opportunity to focus on the grandeur of who God is and all that before you get there. But one of the things that I realized this week as I was processing and and striving to find out, Lord, what do you want me to share this morning? I realized that it's missing fellowship. It's missing fellowship. Just like Jesus said, our Father, This method doesn't necessarily give you the opportunity to view him as father. Not that you wouldn't, right? If you've learned that truth, you can pray that way regardless if you're using the Acts prayer method or not. But this really came into vision for me when I was talking with my buddy Sadra a couple weeks ago. Sadra has a four-month-old. Okay? So he's talking about a blog. I don't think it was a blog. I think it was actually just a, a website that he was reading about how Jewish people, Hebrew people, view prayer. So he explained it this way. He'll be holding his four-month-old daughter. He's holding her. Can she talk to him? She she can't. She can kind of communicate, right? She can cry. She can smile or giggle. She can communicate in some ways, but it's not with words. At the same time, Sadra can speak to her. 
He can hold her. He can tell her how much he loves her. He can tell her that when she grows up, she's going to love oatmeal cream pies. He can, he can tell her all these things. Is she going to immediately be able to understand everything he's communicating? No. But even in that, in that holding of that child, there's communication going on. There's bonding going on. There's smiles and looks and hugs. There's communion and bonding happening even if there's not verbal language. <clears throat> My understanding of Hebrew culture is that they view it in this way too. I took this quote from the page that he sent me to. Hebrew prayer is not a request-making session. It is a communal bonding between God and his child. And I think we, in our busy rushing around, taking care of lots of important things that we need to take care of. I don't know how often we take time for this. How often do we take time to pray and just sit? Because in my brain, I go, I wonder if this is what Daniel did. I wonder if this is why Daniel was so committed, that it wasn't just, okay, <clears throat> I got to get my prayer time in. I got 10 minutes. I'm going to run up there. I'm going to pray. And he just listed off his litany of stuff. God wants to hear from us. And so I don't think he's disappointed when we pray that way. I'm just striving to learn myself. Can I slow down and just spend time in prayer? Connecting with him. Speaking to him. Hearing from him. Developing my relationship with him. And when he speaks, when he moves on my heart, when I have an impression in my mind, I should read this. I should listen to this song. I should pray for this person. Being together. Oswald Chambers has a quote that I wanted to basically wrap up with. Oswald Chambers is a gentleman who wrote My Utmost for His Highest. It's a devotional that is very well read and appreciated. Oswald says this, Prayer is not a normal part of the life of the natural man. We hear it said that a person's life will suffer if he doesn't pray. But I question that. What will suffer is the life of the Son of God in him, that man, which is nourished not by food, but by prayer. Our common ideas regarding prayer are not found in the New Testament. We look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves. But the biblical purpose of prayer is that we, get, we may get to know God himself. I want to encourage us as we consider what are the things we need to have in place in our life so that we can be renewed, so that we can be transformed and changed, so these clay pots, these jars of clay that we are can be molded and shaped every day to be more like Christ? <clears throat> I wanted to close with this thought. I want us to encourage, I want to encourage us to be in prayer just diligently this week, to follow the example of Daniel and I also want to encourage us to pray about one thing specifically. Next week, if you haven't heard, is going to be Pledge Sunday. So Pledge Sunday is we are asking our members and regular attenders, please pray about what God is calling you to tithe to family of Christ. Now, <clears throat> I don't care what that number is. And I don't think anyone in leadership does. What we care about is you taking time to spend time with our Savior and go in discussion with your spouse. 
this is what we feel led to give this year. And if it's 1%, praise God. We want you to give what you're called to give. If it's 10%, Carl Berg, our treasurer, will be a little more excited. <laughs> but we don't really care. We want this to be a meaningful opportunity for you and even meeting with your kids. Let's sit down and let's pray about this. If everything is God's and he can give everything to us, what does he want us to give back? And maybe you pray and you say, I need to give this to Compassion because I'm sponsoring a kid. I need to give these funds to WayFM because it's a great station and keeps me happy. I love WayFM. Um, maybe you give to church. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want this to be a meaningful opportunity for members and regular attenders to say, this is how God's moving in our life. So as you leave today, you'll have the opportunity to get one of these. And I encourage you to pray about it. And then next week, we're going to have an opportunity. We're going to have um, a box. And you may have seen it a couple weeks ago when Carl was up here. But you have the opportunity to drop this in there. <clears throat> and I'm hoping that we don't even look at them. Now, <clears throat> I may have to talk with our accountant. She will probably be curious. She will want to know. <laughs> but I'm hoping that we don't look at them. Because it doesn't really matter. Because this is God's church. And he's going to provide for it how he sees fit. And if you feel led that God is impressing on your heart to give a specific amount this year to family of Christ, then we thank you. And if you don't, we still want you here. This is not like a, huh. <laughs> well then. No, this is a opportunity to be disciples and see what God does here in this place. So I want to close with this thought. <clears throat> we have a God who loves us so much that he wants to spend time with us. And my prayer is that over the last three weeks, as we've talked about Sabbath and God's word and about prayer, my prayer is that God would be moving on your heart and encouraging you to, like Daniel, be intentional with your time. Because the more you are intentional with your time, the more he has opportunity to work. And the more he works the more your life will be different. Does that mean it will be easier? No. Sometimes it's way harder. But it does mean that God will be moving, transforming, pouring his love, his peace, his hope, his trust into you. So when you have to deal with the crap, when you have to deal with the hard times, God will be strengthening you and encouraging you so that when people see you, they go, well, the only way we're going to get that guy in trouble is if it has something to do with prayer, right? 